This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Biomega Fish Oil from Biotics Research. For over 40 years, Biotics Research has been providing the highest quality supplements, surpassing industry standards. Biomega Fish Oil contains therapeutic doses of vital omega-3s in the triglyceride form, which is highly bioavailable. Biotics Research ensures maximum purity and freshness by managing their fish oils from catch to capsule, verified by rigorous independent testing. For more information, go to drhoffman.com slash bioticsresearch. That's drhoffman.com slash bioticsresearch for Biomega fish oil. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly Q&A with Layla, wherein we answer your questions. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for questions. And with me today, Layla Mutin, who is our nutritionist in residence. Uh, <laughs> happy Nutrition Month. Yeah. And happy Women's History Month. Yes. And in commemoration of that, and you saw the article, I wrote yes. an article about Yes, what a great article, oh, thanks. Dr. Hoffman. Yeah. That's really, wow. I'm sorry not to... That was an education for me. I'm sorry not to have included you in the annals of... Oh, but, you know, you, you either have to be very old or dead to be <laughs> in that article. So, you know, be happy that you're not included. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. but yeah. you know you are a, yeah. certainly a among the uh, cadre of uh, distinguished women. Oh, thank you. Nutritionists and a uh, a nutrition pioneer and, and a bit of an iconoclast mm. because I think you 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 took the training, but you took the training a little skeptically, and then you branched yes. out to uh, learn more. Yeah, you know, having worked with Dr. Robert Atkins, and mm -hmm. then subsequently we've been working together for what mm -hmm. I, I don't even know how long uh, since two thousand and five October. Ooh. Oh, wow. Nigh on two decades. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, a very successful collaboration, I might add. Yes. Um, so uh, before we get to questions, radio program at AOL.com is this for questions. I'm happy to see we have a, a pretty full mailbox. Yeah. Keep um, them coming. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's a, a really interesting article. Uh, it's actually uh, a... a Executive report mm -hmm. in uh, at uh, worldobesity.org. Mm -hmm. Now they've been banging the drum about the uh, the toll of obesity worldwide. It's an international organization of scientists and researchers uh, for uh, decades. And uh, actually, you know, this is a funny month because it seems like it's every. It's like. Every day that you, there could possibly be, you know, International Women's Day and all this kind of, everything is this month for some reason. Yeah, um, yeah. It was World Obesity Day uh, this month. Mm -hmm. I think it was May, uh, March 4th. And uh, in commemoration of that, uh, they issued a report uh, which was entitled uh, COVID-19 on Obesity. And what they... Uh, came up with is uh, some startling statistics uh, that, uh, you know, and, and it, it's beautifully done. It's the, an, an executive summary at worldobesityday.org, and mm. it's uh, accompanied by beautiful graphics. Uh, and what they 
astonishingly report is of the 2.5 million COVID-19 deaths reported by the end of February 2021, 2.2 million were in countries where more than half the population is classified as overweight. Wow. So, uh, you know, it's the U.S., U.K., certain countries in Europe, uh, Kuwait, which is kind of an outlier in the Middle East, you know, very prosperous uh, country where people can now... You know, in, in a mere uh, couple of generations. Prosperous people get fat. Yeah. In a mere couple of generations. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they actually have a report from uh, Riyadh, which is in Sa- uh, Saudi Arabia, an adjacent mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. Uh, where they uh, looked at the incidence of gallbladder surgeries in the early 1900s. And it was virtually non-existent because mm-hmm. nobody could afford to eat the kind of food that gives you gallstones. Yeah. Now it's one of the most prevalent surgeries uh-huh. in Saudi Arabia. Wow! Among the, I mean, and it's in countries like Kuwait. There's almost universal affluence, yeah. uh, because of oil money. So yeah. these countries have been transformed. Ergo, now uh, what they're talking about here is obesity is a key risk factor uh, that outranks age in terms of uh, mm-hmm. the likelihood of dying or getting very sick from COVID. Yeah. And uh, is accompanied by hypertension and pre-diabetes, insulin resistance. You don't even have to have diabetes to have a higher risk of COVID mm-hmm. and inflammation. So anyway, um, you know, so this is uh, a real call to action. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, we need to, you know, even in the post-COVID era, because let's say we vanquish COVID, you know, we're still going to be left with the uh, risk factors that predispose us to disease at a rate much higher. Yes. Than the chronic diseases are still there. Yeah. And people are dying from them. And while hundreds of thousands have tragically died from COVID uh, in this country, millions die each year of essentially preventable diseases. Yes. Now, we're all going to go, but yeah. you know, pr- losing uh, years of productivity and life. Um, this week, you know, I'm uh, 68 and I'm a high school class of 69. I just read in my, you know, we have like a, a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Three of my high school uh, classmates died this this year already. Oh, no. And not, uh, I don't know that any of them died of COVID, but two of them were on our championship high school football team. So these were superb athletes. Wow. And they're dead. Well, wait, did they die of natural, well, not natural cause, but did they have a car crash or i mean no they they died of of health uh, diseases yeah wow oh no i mean they didn't uh, die you know after uh you know a victorious football game in a pep rally you know after uh driving drunk down (laughs) right you know nothing uh, like wilshire boulevard in in southern california Mm -hmm. they you know yeah that's terrible and uh so anyway that's terrible yeah, it makes you kind of feel your mortality. All too young. Right. Yes. Right. So, uh, you know, apropos of uh, mortality, uh, let's get right into questions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, speaking of mortality, okay, here's a question about uh, the, the vaccine. Hi, Dr. Hoffman. Would anything useful be learned about the effectiveness of the vaccine by having a COVID antibody test after being vaccinated? That's, that's a, from that's Dennis. A very good question. And... Uh, the answer is it's actually being studied uh, because it, you might think that taking a vaccine would reliably produce antibodies mm-hmm. as it does mm-hmm. with many other things. I mean, for example, they sometimes determine if someone needs a rubella uh, booster shot by looking at antibodies, yeah. measuring antibodies. 
Um, but uh, with the types of vaccines that are being offered, they, they uh, offer antibodies to the spike protein mm. of the virus. <clears throat> not the entire virome, not the entire uh, DNA of, or I'm sorry, the RNA of the virus. It's an RNA uh, virus. But to the spike protein. But to the okay. spike protein. So what we're seeing is that many people are showing antibodies, but it's not a reliable uh, measure of the uh, efficacy of the vaccines. Mm -hmm. There are other more subtle tests, you know, looking at uh, neutralizing antibodies. And uh, then, of course, there's also a whole, this is that's on the B cell side of, of the immune system. On the T cell side of the immune yeah. system, it's even more subtle. Mm. Um, so... Uh, there, there is no single reliable test to tell you that your vaccine has taken, so to speak. I see. Um, but, uh, you know, it appears that younger, healthier people have a more robust immune response to the vaccine and hence may be more protected. Yeah. Whereas, you know, which is tr traditionally seen with vaccines. A lot of vaccines sure. uh, work less well for the elderly and, yeah. and people who have what's called immunosenescence. Mm -hmm. That's why the flu vaccine that's offered to the elderly uh, is it's not great. Four times, it's four times stronger. Ah, you know? so you, you may, in an effort to, yeah, for them to respond right. better. So the to ordinary it. one is, is moderately, if it were, you know, if it were the, if you were to give a, a young, healthy person the, the, the vaccine designated for the older people, I think it's called Fluzone, mm -hmm. uh, it might cause them to feel sick, you know, mm -hmm. have like a real, you know, red arm and a lot of I problems. Okay. Uh, okay. Of greater concern is the seeming trend towards decreased efficacy of the, vi of the vaccines with the variants. Right. And... So, well, isn't that the same? Uh, we can make the same analogy with the flu yes. because it changes from year yeah. to year. So the vaccine you're getting is from last year's flu, hence yeah. only maybe forty to sixty percent effective. Isn't that the same thing because of the variants? It, it's the same concept. Uh, the uh, and it, it, you know, we don't know from vaccine to vaccine, you know, which is going to, uh, you know, in fall or winter of twenty twenty one, yeah, whether one or another of the vaccines will become less efficacious because of the viral uh, natural selection. I actually yeah. wrote about this, you know, because pe people say, well, get the vaccine now because we need to wipe out COVID, you know. And so, but it, one could also argue, I mean, I'm not saying this is the case, but, you know, just hashtag science, there is what's called selection pressure. If we apply a lot of selection pressure with vaccines to the uh, coronavirus, it may accelerate its rate of mutation yes. to evade mm -hmm. the protection that the vaccine confers. Because remember, Mother Nature wants all living things to live. Yes. Although a virus isn't technically a living thing, vaccine, but it needs a host. Vaccine lives matter. Vaccine lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> so because of this interference, it yeah. could actually be causing the mutation. You also said something very interesting last week. I feel like I'm inter interviewing you, sorry. <laughs> but uh, you talked. you talked about because we intervened as a population via wearing a mask, social distancing, locking down, staying home, it caused the virus to change and, and mutate to, so that it could live. Right. Since well, it was going to die, one not could, finding... One could argue hmm. 
that uh, the in, they say that certain strains of the vaccine are more contagious. Uh. Not necessarily, they don't make you sicker, yeah. but they're more contagious. And that may be they're more in, spreadable. In, in an effort to uh, get past some of the speed bumps that we've interposed in, yeah. its, in its path. Of course, it would make itself more contagious in order to ensure that it continues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what nature yeah. intends. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. And we're, you know, we're in competition with the, yeah. the vaccine. So but that's the difference then between what everybody else did versus Sweden. Right. Well, you know, I think you know, Sweden is a controversial experiment because uh, depending on who, which uh, uh, spectrum, political spectrum you look at, Sweden was a disaster and or Sweden was a resounding success. And I yeah. think the answer lies somewhere in between. Hmm. Uh, because they're the lockdown vigilantes who want to make the Swedish experiment seem utterly irresponsible and uh, yeah. immoral. Yeah. And there are other people who are looking at it more from the standpoint of, um, you know, let's get it over with. Let's get develop some herd immunity among the healthy populace. Yes. We're less likely to die from this. Right. What? What? Everybody uh, else can stay home. Here's another wrinkle, though. Is that? Yeah. Uh, there's more to it than are you going to live or die or are you going to end up on a ventilator? I, I am very concerned about the high percentage of people who have long COVID. And uh, people of long COVID, it's not necessarily a merit system. It, you know, just like, as with post-Lyme disease uh, and with people who have chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, there appears to be a significant percentage of people, uh, many of them young and ostensibly healthy, who have long-term uh, symptoms. And that's why, uh, you know, I don't dread getting COVID. I haven't had it, but I don't dread getting COVID so much because I think I'm going to die yeah. or because I think I'm going to end up in the hospital. But I, I, I dread the long-term sequelae because yeah. it's a little like Russian roulette with that, I think. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you can't foresee who is going to be more likely to get that. You know, mm -hmm. like just some people get a tick bite, they get their antibiotics. Yes. That's the antibiotics. The doc. Yeah. <laughs> the antibiotics. Yes. And they're like, yay, I feel awesome. And then there are the people who they take the antibiotics and they have long-term sequelae as if uh, the, the uh, Borrelia is resistant to the antibiotics, which to some extent it is, but also they may have some immunological reaction to Lyme, which renders them feeling sick and inflamed mm -hmm. and, you know, with a cytokine kind of right, mediated right. Um, malaise. Mm -hmm. And there's actually been some calls for, this is actually good for the, the uh, chronic fatigue syndrome community. They're actually hailing this because they say, you know, how much money are we spending on breast cancer, on, on, on uh, yeah. you know, heart disease, uh, on COVID, but people with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is not going to kill you, but it's very debilitating. Sure. Uh, but they, they allocate a few million dollars to research on that. Mm -hmm. Not billions of dollars of research. And there's no, uh, there's no formal treatment for that. Yeah. So maybe yeah. the long COVID people mm -hmm. having a fairly large number of people with inexplicable long-term symptoms will prompt more research into what happens after you've been challenged with a... Uh, a virus or a some insult that causes your body to go into a kind of a like a broken record response. Yeah. 
in a chronic loop. Anybody knows what a broken See? record is? I don't think I can use that yeah, metaphor anymore. Yeah, or, or a loop, right. just a tape loop mm -hmm. of that particular thing. I hated when my records used to get scratched and then they would be like, repeat, repeat. <laughs> <laughs> but what percentage of people are having or complaining of long haulers? And I have to wonder how much of that has to do with their other comorbidities. It, and then we may discover them, but they're not, yeah. they're not the typical comorbidities. They're not the ones that make people die of COVID. They're not it's not as simple as saying, it's not oh, overweight, hypertension. diabetes, it, hypertension. It could be to some extent, yeah. but there are other people who seem ostensibly healthy, and it may be genetic. Mm -hmm. uh, it may be that they have some already pre-existing autoimmunity or, you know, some uh, weakness or vulnerability. That, but it's not been. It needs to be studied. It needs to be studied. Yeah. I, I wish some of the money that's being poured into the COVID uh, vaccines and medications. By the way, a couple of new medications that are uh, are, are being touted. Uh -huh. This big thing on 60 Minutes, and I was going to report on it last week, but I didn't get around to it. Uh, a drug that I rarely ever yes. use, Luvox, yeah. uh -huh. fluvoxamine, uh, which is used for people with really bad OCD, obsessive mm. compulsive disorder, mm -hmm. you know, like frequent hand washing and uh, is it know, is it an antidepressant is it that is, its classification well, it's an antidepressant but it's, <clears throat> it is like it's like very heavy duty and, okay um you don't want to use it for your run-of-the-mill mildly depressed person you're right right but for ocd it's somewhat helpful but it turns out you know it's very interesting about drugs is they have properties that are off target properties yeah and it turns out that at least in preliminary study I mean, it may turn out to be a hydroxychloroquine, you know. Right. Um, ivermectin was very popular, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for a while. Uh, recent study shows that it's not that helpful. Yeah. Uh, but I can't dismiss its possible efficacy. Here's a <laughs> drug that's used for, you know, parasites and for uh, your river blindness in, in, in uh, subtropical Africa. Wow. Well, it's not just antiviral, but yeah. it may do something to the immune system. Uh, then there's a new one, and I think it's something, the name is Multinavir or something, and that... Another antiviral. It's a specific antiviral, and it shows very high efficacy wow. against uh, COVID. Mm -hmm. So the solution to COVID may come partially from vaccination, partially from, you know, the measures we take to separate ourselves and da 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 but partially from uh, effective treatment. Yeah. You know, if this could be like, I mean, they they analogize this to Tamiflu for the flu, but that's not a very good analogy because Tamiflu doesn't work very well for the flu. And the side and effects can be the horrendous. side effects can be horrendous. And you have to take it right away. Yeah. And there's a very uh, short window of efficacy for Tamiflu. Mm -hmm. Got to take it right at the beginning. And usually by the time people call, get a prescription, you know, so it kind of argues for stockpiling Tamiflu. Mm. But now the flu has mutated to become somewhat resistant to Tamiflu. So anyway, the, these antivirals show promise. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we got some uh, things in our arsenal there. That's, you know, it's a moving target. Every week we have a, we have different, um, uh, you know, prospects for this. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the weather's getting nicer. Yeah. People are chomping at the bit. I think there will be a thaw, yeah. you know, uh, and more people will go out and about. And, um, you know, we may have some more cases, but I, I think that this is a good trend because 
uh, the case is if we can protect the people who are at most at risk, uh, then the cases will be mild and will continue to promote herd immunity. Right. Very good. Sounds like a plan. Yep. <laughs> the herd immunity part sounds yep. like a plan. Oh, my gosh. All right. So thank you, Dennis, for that. And I know we went off on tangents. Um, that was That's good. what we do. That's what we do. Right. This is from Mark. Hi, Dr. Hoffman and Layla. I'm a very long-time listener, probably since the first health talk at 10 p.m. Wow. Wow. Takes wow. us back. Yeah. Recently, I had a small patch. I used to patch. be on before Joy Brown. Oh, really? The, the psychologist. Yeah. Oh, right, right, late, right, late right, right, right. Late night radio. I remember, yeah. Recently, I had a small patch of basal cell carcinoma removed from the back of my ear. I'm a fairly dark-skinned Italian. I'm a 59-year-old male. Dermatologists always told me I wouldn't have to worry about skin cancer because of my skin pigment. Our melanin is supposed to protect us, but... Right. This, I, so I wish I got yeah. a plug for every, uh, you know, African-American, you know, dark pigment who yeah. has skin cancer. I mean, it's not, doesn't exempt you from it, but it right. is somewhat protective. Yeah. So it's a little cavalier to say, oh, you know, you're, you're swarthy uh, Italian individual mm -hmm. and you're not going to get anything. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Less likely, but... Yeah. The spot that was removed was not even exposed to any sun, and I don't get any excess of sun. The dermatologist told me it wouldn't recur and that it was not due to sun exposure. The basal cell. Oh, okay. okay. Therefore, I assume it was from my my immune system. I'm a healthy person. I follow a strict eating plan, including the exclusion of carbohydrates with the with, except vegetables, of course. They're the good ones. I'm taking EGCG, resveratrol, quercetin. Can you recommend others that might help me prevent any additional? File this on under uh, health is not a merit system entirely. Yeah. You know, is that sometimes as you get older, mutations occur and you know, things arise. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's so many other things that we can't control in our environments. Yeah. So, you know, I can't uh, pinpoint why he got this. Um, so what are some of the things? What are some, Well, one of the things uh, is oral nicotinamide. Or vitamin, uh, there's ordinary this, yeah. vitamin B3. Right, right. You know. uh, prevents common skin cancers in high-risk patients. It can reduce costs. The pill, the vitamin B3 supplement called nicotinamide, cut the rate of new squamous cell and basal cell skin cancers by 23%. Okay. Compared with a placebo so it's not a, it's not after a, a year. Uh, like a, a you know, unassailable bulwark against right. uh, all manner of skin cancer, but that reduces the rate. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we apply yeah. it to patients who have had multiple, you know, they just keep going to the dermatologists and they keep, you know, lasering and and freezing and cutting and yeah mosing you know it's almost like barnacles on a ship that they have to keep going in all the time going in all the time scrapings and, re and removing yeah. exactly but uh exactly. we give them that and you know mm -hmm. is it a hundred percent uh no yeah. but it is somewhat protective and then yeah is he taking egcg he's taking egcg he's taking quercetin resveratrol Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are all good. Some of the right things. So apparently, he's a good eater. Yeah. I mean, what else can we think of? The first thing that comes to mind anymore, since this whole pandemic is toxic exposures, mm -hmm. more than anything. What are you using? What's in your soap? What's in your shampoo? What's in your yeah. personal grooming stuff? I know it's behind your ear, but you wash there too. Mm -hmm. You know what? What else is in your environment that may be 
you know, causing a cancer to happen. Mm. That type of a thing. So, yeah. I don't know. But, you know, know. At, the, at the most, uh, yeah. and this is actually uh, very mainstream now, the nicotinamide or niacinamide, vitamin mm -hmm. B3. It's cheap. Yeah. And the dosage generally used is about 1,500 per day, 500 mm -hmm. milligrams three times a day, <clears throat> which you might say, well, isn't that going to affect my liver? Isn't that going to affect, cause me to have flushing? This is the no, the non-flushing It's not niacin. Type of B3. It's not it's, niacin. It's like the metabolite right, of right, or right. part of its matrix or, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Mark, you're doing all the right things, you know. Good thing it's a basal cell, not a melanoma. Wow. Yeah, yeah. basal know? cells are manageable early. And uh, exactly. know, I, have to, I have to confess, uh, you mm -hmm. know, I'm not a big doctor goer, but I do check in with my dermatologist, um, Yeah. you know, on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. uh, this year I got the call to go in and I kind of blew it <laughs> off during the pandemic, which is not good, but, um, you know, more and more people I think are going to do that. And I think doctors are going to see people coming in saying, oh, why didn't you come in sooner? You know, I could have, yeah. I, I, now I have to cut really deeply around yes. this. You know, it's, it's grown. Well, I was reluctant to come in because of the pandemic, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. You know. So, all right. We well, have... All right, give us a preview of what we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, what can we do about pre-emphysema? My friend was diagnosed with pre-emphysema. -em, pre Okay, we'll tackle that in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman today with Layla Mutant. It's our weekly Q&A with Layla radio program at AOL.com, the destination for questions. We'll be right back.